the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. It's 11.37 p.m. Eastern time. And Miami and Clemson are in the second overtime. As I Mm -hmm. see, Miami has just scored a touchdown. And it looks like we got a two-point try. I've seen so many flags in this game. I just saw flags in USC. Utah as Utah took down USC for the count of one, two, third time. Since Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams showed up uh, for the Trojans, Kyle Whittingham's got your number sometimes. Um, the the end of the night has been fast and furious. We're going to do our best to digest all of that. Of course, Florida State getting a good first punch from Duke. Riley Leonard knocked out the Seminoles, pull away late. Uh, plenty more to get into. Some upset scares for Texas and Oklahoma coming out of that off week and that big Red River rivalry game. But look, if you are getting this, then you want to know what Tom Fernelli has to say about Ohio State, Penn State. The man had to live blog it, right? The numbers are better when Tom Fernelli live blogs a Big Ten game. That's what the people tell me deep down. So I, I've got some thoughts on this, but Tom, you really were just like dialed into it. Like this was your primary screen. You were pouring yep. your all into it. 20 to 12 is our final. Of course, Drew Aller, like, 18 for 42, 43% completion percentage. His only touchdown comes in garbage time. And he says in the post game press conferences, I sucked. 
<laughs> Drew Aller comes out and says, you know, like, we've got a lot. We need to commit ourselves to the tape and making corrections because that can't happen again. Uh, Penn State, one for 16 on third down, and that only one came with 50 seconds left in the daggum mm-hmm. ball game. Like, they're, they're – Oh, like 70 of their yards on offense came on that final drive, too. Like, there's so much that, you know, we can, like – like, are the silver silver bullets back? Like, we need to look at Ohio State's defense and hold them up. We also probably need to have some criticism for Penn State's offense or maybe even for Ohio State's offense as well. Like, there's a lot of different layers to get to this, and that's why I wanted to give you the first word because, I mean, you were just, you're, you're just all deep in it. So uh, wh- where do you want to go? What's the most important or interesting conversation coming out of Ohio State 20, Penn State 12? After the game, James Franklin got a lot of attention for his quote about like, you know, he's like, what I saw out there was, you know, two, two championship, you know, two championship caliber teams, two great defenses. And he got a lot of crap for it on social media because it's like, you just lost 20 to 12. The game wasn't really that close. You're now like, what, like two and 13 or whatever his record is against top 10 teams. Oh, and whatever on the road. And when you have those kind of numbers, people are going to dunk on you for just not coming out and saying we sucked. But there was truth to what he said. Like, there was a lot of really good defense in that game. It's like this was not one of those 20 to 12 games that you see a lot of where the offenses were just terrible. Now, there was a lot of bad offense in this game because both of these offensive lines spent all day getting their asses kicked. So, like, sure. that was part of it. Drew Aller could say, I sucked, and he did, but Ohio State's defense had a lot of, lot of, like, a lot of credit for making him suck because he didn't really have time. His receivers were not open, and he was having to force throws that really just weren't there yet. And he was panicking and all that kind of stuff because both Jim Knowles and Manny Diaz did an incredible job of just either bringing pressure or simulating pressure and keeping both Kyle McCord and Drew Aller on their heels the entire time, confusing both offensive lines who, again, both offensive lines in this game stunk. Like, none of nobody on either one of these teams is going to go watch the tape of this game on these offensive lines and feel good about themselves. Even Olu Fashanu had some bad plays in this one, especially late it was JT Tuiomalau beating him, getting to Aller and forcing a fumble to kind of end the game on a fourth down. Like, it was just a dominating performance by both defenses. That said, the bad stuff on the offenses was there. Drew Aller was 18 for 42, 191 yards. Kyle McCord was 22 with 35 for 286 and a touchdown. But that was very misleading. Like, there were a couple big Marvin Harrison catches who had 11 catches for 162 and a touchdown. There was the Cade Stover mossing. That was great. But overall, he was very inconsistent as well. Like he, he missed a lot of throws that were there. Like there were a couple times where he had Marvin Harrison wide open and he just plain missed him. So it was not the most crisp performance from either offense. But again, I think this was one of those cases where the defenses had a lot more to do with it than just the offenses stinking. Like both of these teams are going to play better or worse defenses next week and look good again. I think Tom nailed it. I mean, honestly, it was a really good defensive performance. There ain't no doubt about that. If you put Marvin Harrison Jr. on Penn State, does Penn State win the game? No. 11 for 162 is – like, I I watched it, and, like, I knew he was there every quarter of the game. But, like, this – it felt like – did it feel like he had 162? I, I guess it did. No. Like every time they uh, needed it. But but look, he had 10 for 185 last year. 
This yeah. dude yeah. is just a Penn State killer. And even last yeah. year, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s performance is not the thing that stands out to me the most about that game. I mean, this dude is just cooking a secondary that otherwise has been phenomenal. If you're watching us live at youtube.com slash cover three, you're seeing the stats on the screen right now. I mean, he puts up these kind of ridiculous numbers all the time. Like this 100-yard performance is moving him up. He is chasing David Boston for the program record for 100-yard games as an Ohio State wide receiver. And that's like he's going to go down potentially as one of the all-time greats in that program. I believe that he just got ahead of maybe Garrett Wilson. He's right behind Chris Alave now. And again, Boston's at 14, right? So he's like, give, give him two or three more 100-yard performances, which who knows? Like if, if they're going to play a 14 or 15 game season, definitely possible. Then, yeah, we're going to see Marvin Harrison Jr. in a lot of categories go down as an all-time great. But Penn State will look at him as a villain forever for the way that he's gone for a buck 50 plus in the last two games. Shout out David Boston, one of the top five most jacked wide receivers of all time. I mean, that was a different <laughs> Ohio State, too. Like, you know, you joke, you joke about Kyle McCord being a Craig Krenzel type. <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> yeah, yeah. start calling him David Boston Jr. <laughs> no, it, yeah, I it was. Did, oh, God. No, I, I did think it was really good defense, but also you have two younger quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. One's actually young, one's more young in terms of just not a lot of experience. They're just not finding these guys in a rhythm. Like, there were guys open at times. I thought Penn State's DBs played their butts off overall. Like, there were multiple times Ohio State ended up getting guys open, and they they reacted. Recovery speed was good, it, especially in that first drive where they're heading into the north end zone there. And, like, McCord has guys kind of open twice, and they, they closed distance and batted down. But I, I was left wondering, are these guys going to get there this year? Because I don't know, man. Like this, they, they're not, the ball does not come out on time to the right guy consistently. Like we know what it looks like. We know what it doesn't look like. This is what it's not supposed to look like more often than not. But I did think the defenses were really good. Yeah. I felt terrible for Kalen King because I feel like overall he played very well today, but he got called for the one defensive holding on the Penn State scoop and score. And it was just, just, then there was another. There was yeah. another penalty he drew, or it was actually it was a pass interference, but Marvin Harrison caught it anyway because he just kind of ran through him because he's Marvin Harrison. He's very good. But I f- feel like those two plays stick out. They're going to be like highlight reel or like, you know, blooper reel kind of stuff. But I feel like the rest of the game, he was fantastic. And it's just those are the two moments that are going to stick out. And Miami just beat Clemson, by the way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like Dabo said, if you don't go undefeated, nobody appreciates you. I mean, if, if, if you think the fans are mad that you're not undefeated, how are they going to feel when you're four and three and just lost on the road to a Miami team without Tyler Van Dyke? Oh, man. Oh, you know what? Hey, listen, let's. Oh. <laughs> not repeating that for the audio listeners. Um, it, I don't. I don't, I don't have any refrigerators up here. I would go find like something to pop for Mario Cristobal for winning an ACC home game. Yeah, you know, like we need mm-hmm. to really congratulate Cristobal for getting it done. Woo! Against the reigning champs too. Oh, they, they didn't have to kneel. Great point, Danny. You know, man. All right, sorry. Like took that. That is uh, that's quite a result. 
in the AC in a, in a day full of good. Right, let's not get distracted yes. here. Penn State side of this moving mm-hmm. forward because it's only your first loss of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you still control your own destiny. Like right. you could still get to the Big Ten championship. You could still win it. You could still get to the playoff. Problem is, if your offensive line couldn't hold up against Ohio State's defense. It's hard to imagine you're going to have a much better time against Michigan because that was one thing that I was thinking as I was watching this game, too, is that if these two teams can't deal with each other, Michigan's going to beat them both by 20. Like, Michigan just is that much better than them. And I know Michigan, to this point, hasn't played a team of either caliber, but at some point, you just kind of have to look at what the Wolverines are doing to everybody and saying, yeah, no, that's just who they are. And they're not, you're not going to out-physical them. They're going to out-physical you or at least match your physicality. And I feel like that was the big key and big takeaway to me for both teams going forward is their offensive lines couldn't match the physicality of the defenses that they were facing. And those are legit D lines. But you, mm-hmm. to Tom's point, like you are going to face another one probably better, actually, in Michigan. So... Yeah, I mean, if you're a Penn State fan, you're, I think you're left wondering, like, is this another 10-2? Is, is this just what we are? What, how can we take that next step? I, I don't want to try to, like, bury them or hit them while they're down, but did you see enough to say that they definitely will? Because I'll read it off. Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, Michigan State. Do you feel like there's enough there that they are definitely going to go 4-1 and one through that stretch? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think they are definitively and clearly much more athletic than the rest of that schedule. And then also definitively a level of below Michigan. Because when you're sorting out undefeated teams, you're like, okay, they haven't beaten anybody, but they're undefeated. Yeah. So now there's a little bit of a different approach where, you know, you see the ceiling, you see the floor, you see the talent. Penn, what, welcome Penn State to the world of the quality loss. You held your own against one of the best teams in the country, and that is your best defining quality. Mm-hmm. Your eight-point loss at Ohio State, means more than your 31 to nothing win against Iowa and means more than your 38 to 15 win against West Virginia. It's not my opinion. I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you how this thing normally goes for the Buckeyes. You mentioned the the quarterback. You mentioned the offense. Do you see a path forward where that improves moving forward or is Ohio state what Ohio state is? Cause I'll go back to my first point. I do think that Ohio State's defense is awesome. Yeah. And like to the point where they can be led by that defense to the a, the highest of heights competing for a national championship in a 14 playoff. Yeah, I I don't know if their offensive line can improve, but they didn't have Ibuka today. They didn't have Henderson. They didn't have Burke in the secondary. Like they were missing a lot of key guys and if they get healthy I mean, they're not really at their peak yet. So if those guys come back offensively, yeah, this team can be better than it was today. But at the same time, Ohio State has played two really good teams. Ohio State's offense has struggled to move the ball against both of those teams. And Ohio State's offense has struggled to finish drives against everybody. It has been bad in the red zone all year. It was okay in the red zone today. Like, it did score some touchdowns. It did enough to win. But still... you. If they're going to win the Big Ten, if they're going to beat Michigan, if they're going to get to the playoff and beat the teams they're going to face there, they need to be a lot better in the red zone than they have been. I, I don't know if McCord can get that much better in season. Maybe he can. I, I just, it's not crisp. 
and it's been not crisp against good opponents and also at times against lesser opponents. Purdue, to me, with the amount of man coverage they play and the lack of athletes with which they play that man coverage was not really a sign of growth. Mm-hmm. Now, Ohio State deserves credit for taking care. Like, one thing Ohio State did, they, they finished drives better than Penn State did. I mean, neither was amazing at it, but like well, Ohio State, Penn State didn't even sniff scoring opportunities <laughs> until well, the very end, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like they they didn't literally did not have the ball close enough to be able to get red zone statistics until yeah, the their first is their more. first yeah. their first red zone snap was with 50 seconds left. Right. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, it was dominant defensive performance. Again, like uh, I'll I'll say that my silver bullets are back, baby. That defense was a liability. Now it is a strength, and in my eyes, it is the strongest, the strongest uh, football thing that you can point to as a team outside of the individual excellence of Marvin Harrison Jr. Most important question is, what do you guys think of Maserati Marv? I told you I was dialed in to Dave. No, no, no. First, first audio was Rich Waltz, Aaron Taylor, and Amanda Guerra, the GOAT, all right? Second audio when we were at commercial was to go to Dave and Dusty and Luke's. I did not choose at any time during my three screen rotation to have audio on that broadcast Blessed. for self-care. <laughs> <laughs> I realized it was a viral sensation based on the commentary in our workroom. Somebody said that if you did a drinking game for Maserati Marv, you were dead, like midway <laughs> to the fourth quarter. Maserati Marv. Like I, 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 I'm, I recognized that it was a thing. I did not hear it with my own ears. <laughs> oh, oh, Grant says Maserati Marv and Kyle Honda McCord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, that's pretty good. <laughs> Hey, that's that's the new Jag Plus. Like instead of our Jag Jag Plus, is like we're just gonna call you by your uh, by your automobile. You know, <laughs> yeah. calling him Kyle, ha- calling him Honda McCords. Fantastic, Grant. I'm sorry, we're probably gonna end up taking that. <laughs> I'll give you a shout out for it anytime I use it outside of this realm. But that's now part of the lexicon. Uh, but you got anything anything else here? I mean, look, they they, they got a couple weeks until they got to play Michigan, right? You know, mm-hmm. you get just over a month. And how much better can you get? Uh, should we mention this? Like, we haven't been on the air since the sign-stealing allegations came up. Like, does that impact this matchup? I'm sure we'll have more time to talk about it. But, like, that that's immediately where, where my mind goes. Like, did Michigan have their signs the last time they played? How big is the gap truly between these teams, right? Is it the gap that we saw the last two years or – is it maybe a little bit less? It, it, who knows? I, look, I was impressed by Ohio State taking care of business. Did I come away thinking, like, that's a team that can win a national title? I did not. Sorry. Coming up on the other side, Florida State got a good punch from Duke early, but just had too many dudes late. We will get into that. Plus, some top 10 scares, some upset scares. And North Carolina, ooh boy, I said, I told you, the Tar Heels against Hype, the series history on Winsipedia says that Hype has a strong advantage in the series history. And it happened again. We'll get into that and so much more, plus projecting the new AP Top 25 poll 
Next. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. As if this day, I, as if this day could not get more sort of chaotic Michael Penix has thrown two interceptions and it is still 0-0 as we near halftime in Seattle. Mm-hmm. With Arizona, Arizona State. State goal line. Yeah. Arizona State about to potentially take a lead. Arizona State, which by the way, beat Washington last year. Mm-hmm. Very different situation, different head coach, yada, yada, yada. But uh, yeah, we uh, we might not be done with uh, with with upsets uh, as it comes to, but before we get to North Carolina, uh, I do want to talk about the premier game in the ACC, which was Florida State 38, Duke 20, uh, Duke out to a 20 to 17 lead at halftime, uh, and then Florida State's just able to pour it on late. Bud, what did you take? Take me through what you saw throughout this process because we talked a lot about Riley Leonard, and then he went out there. I would, I'll let you take the lead. I would say that it was obvious by the play calling he was not 100%. And by the quickness with which they told him to sit down. And he was doing the like, I'm young, I'm invincible, I can do whatever, watch me run around, let me back into the game. And the cameras did a great job of cap- capturing Michael Elko. be like, bud, like, I'm sorry, this is, like, we need you for Louisville. I don't know if this is what he was saying, but it's like, we need you for Louisville. We need you for North Carolina. Like, we want to get, that before a, the game. we need you to get perfect to the point where we'll have another shot at the Seminoles in Charlotte. So I, not a hundred percent, but he started and Duke got off to a good start. What'd you see in it? They did. I, I thought Duke started off the ball game really well by you know, with some of their run blitzing. They, they did a nice job keeping FSU's run game off balance. Then they, they FSU goes for it in their own end and they don't get it. Duke had a nice stop there. 
they hit a, a, a nice run around the corner. FSU's corner didn't take a good angle. Deuce left tackle held the hell out of this guy. Look, they got called for like six or seven holdings. So I'm not saying like, like hey, like Duke didn't get called for any holdings. It was fairly obvious that they could not pass protect on the night. Like we, we kind of had that thought going in. And Leonard was not able to really scramble around and protect himself from my perspective. Like watching him, I was like, oh, man, if the ball's not out quick, he's in trouble. He ends up 7 of 16 on the night for 69 yards. Duke had a great run game plan. Like, it was diverse. It was basically what we talked about in big game breakdown. Like, it really worked well. I, I was I was extremely impressed by what Duke did there. They just didn't ever have the passing game complement to it. I mean, 76 total yards. Leonard gets sacked on, on a drive where I think they either score on or, or pin up issue down at the three. I'm trying to figure out what drive that was. Uh, no, it was the – sorry, it was the drive that, that – uh, that they got stopped at the three, but he gets sacked. Ankle is clearly not right. Gets up if you guys didn't watch this, and then he immediately had to go back down to the ground. Never re-entered the game. I think if you're a Duke fan, it's an encouraging sign that he was able to jog around on the sideline, right? So if you're thinking ahead, like shoot, we got we still have what UNC, we still got Louisville, you know stuff like that. I think you'll probably have him. So. Could you make the argument that Duke shouldn't have played him in this game? Yeah. I would make that argument now, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, that that could have been a lot worse. His ankle really wasn't even hit. He just kind of landed on it funky. The backup, Henry, Henry Billing, just one of six on the night for seven yards. Uh, it's basically a continuation of what we saw against NC State in some ways, but we didn't really know because the NC State game was so rainy and they had a lead. I was like, all right, four of 12, but what does that really mean? You know, I guess we'll see. It's hard to complete. Anybody really complete passes in no circumstance. On the FSU side, it's just hard to go with that team for 60 minutes, right? It, and, and Duke is definitely much more athletic than they've been. But they didn't take their first lead until what? Like 12 minutes left in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was still 20-17 back- to 17 Duke um, yeah. to start the fourth quarter. And then... It, like you mentioned, I, I just, it was Henry Bielen running for his life, right? I mean, it, just from a play calling perspective, Florida State defensive coordinator Adam Fuller was like, he's not going to be able to handle when we start throwing lots of different looks at him. This is his yeah. first ever road start, or not road start, but you know, like he's, he is playing um, in homecoming as I said a thousand times on this week, but like he is playing in front of, you know, the full doke crowd that is like hanging on for dear life for all of their hopes and dreams of what this season can be. And so, yeah, it was just tough, tough spot for him to be able to go out and execute. What's the, uh, what's the phrase that we sometimes use when we're talking about golf or it's like things are moving very quickly right now. Mm-hmm. Henry Beal in the fourth looked like he was in a things are moving very quickly situation yeah one 100 it, it it was a fun game to watch uh, i i just i never really truly believed fsu was going to lose when i saw leonard not be able to run around like even before he went out i was like okay duke's not going to rush for 400 on fsu they almost rushed for 200 right but like they're not going to run for 400 leonard can't really seem to step into these throws i don't think he hit any deep shots right and he was not able to escape outside the pocket and create, which is the best thing that he does, in my opinion. So I was like, ah, okay. The fact that they played him, though, 
what does that say about what they really think of the backup? Yeah. That's what it's like. That, that's why I was okay. This backup probably really can't play, at least not yet. I mean, I, I have high hopes for the kid long term, of course. Yeah. I, Leonard shouldn't have been playing in this game. Like, yeah, both, that's what I, both from a strategy standpoint, because like you said, if he can't move, then you're taking away everything that makes him unique and special. You're taking away the, his best assets. Yeah. But also, like, I understand he wants to play and he says he can play through it, but we all saw the injury. We all know what it is. It's a high ankle sprain. That's not something that guys typically come back from in a couple of weeks. And, and not a mild one. Yeah. Like he's laying on the ground, like, writhing in pain. Yeah. I mean, we all saw it. And you saw it too tonight, like even before he, you know, re-aggravated it, which I think, I don't think he re-aggravated anything. I think it's been aggravated the entire damn time. But like there was one time where he scrambled and he didn't hurt himself on the scramble, but like it took him five minutes to stand back up. Like it was this, it's, I just didn't like the fact that he was in the game at all. I feel like it was a mistake on Duke's coaching staff part. And it's clearly, it was because they really didn't think they had a shot in hell of winning this game with Beelan in there if he was starting. But it's... I don't know. I just didn't like. I I didn't like the way it felt. I didn't like the vibe of it. I I don't know. This is where you get into that like very fine line of, um, if Riley tells you he's great, right? Because that was what you were seeing, right? I mean, and that's what we saw initially. You know, the, uh, right off the bat, everyone's like, "Oh, he's out for a long time." And Mike Elko's telling he's like, "I don't know. He's." He's acting like everything's okay. He's going through all the rehab process. Now, you see, Riley Leonard is still a developing, you know, quarterback prospect. Everyone's excited about him because of how toolsy he is. Like he, he still has some naivete, right, to this whole process, where he's not going to be having some of the same thoughts that your five-star all throughout his high school career who's had a million quarterback coaches, was recruited by everybody. Like, there's just going to be a different mindset with that kind of quarterback. Riley, the basketball player, is like, whatever. No, I'm good. Like, let's let's go. I'm just an athlete. Let's let's get it done. So I, I'm not going to go with mistake. I think that they listened to Riley. I think they gave him a shot. And I think that the second that there was anything that indicated there might be further injury, they made the tough decision, even at Leonard's protest, from what we were able to see. Tough decision would have been telling him he can't play to begin with. Letting him play and then taking him out feels like an easy decision. If he's unable to move around well at Louisville next week and they lose that, then you're, then you're then coming we, back. Then we need to seriously revisit this, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't think that he's seriously re-aggravated. He's, he's arguing to go back in the game. How much of that is adrenaline? I don't know. I'm hard pressed to believe that that the shots he took tonight are going to help him be ready for next week. It's fair. Um, um, by the, anything anything else here stands out? I, I mean, Duke really, really focused on taking away Keon Coleman, which I would too. Honestly, uh, he only had I think two catches on the night. They were pretty consequential, actually, uh, but. A lot of balls to tight ends. Jaheim Bell had multiple third downs converted. Just like you got, it's hard to cover everybody. You know, they were really force feeding Johnny Wilson before Wilson went out of the game. I don't think that's long term. We'll see. I'm not a doctor. Head injury um, was the broadcast suggestion. That's kind of when I saw it. I was like, okay, that's either a headshot, got the wind knocked out of him, or he got hit. Uh, you know, uh, down there. So. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, they have Wake and Pitt. Wake didn't have their either of their two quarterbacks this week, so we'll see if he plays next week. Um, but I, I don't think Norvell would, would, was probably super happy with the performance overall, given the, the lack of execution for, like, the first 15 minutes on offense. But, you know, then you look up, and it's like, all right, you – you know, you put up 438 points on a pretty good Duke defense. All right. I'm not avoiding it. Like, there's, there, y'all, if you've been around a while, you got to know that I was, I was born in this fire, right? Like, I was in Keenan Stadium when I was sold this bill of goods, like something special was about to happen. 1997, undefeated. Game day in town, Florida State comes in, and then you're like, oh. And there have been like rug being pulled out of you moments like forever in North Carolina football. And Virginia on the CW is not that moment, but I'm just telling you that like the idea that you are not going to be accomplishing all of like your wildest fantasies is just something that is like deeply ingrained. So there's not a massive crash and burn for me emotionally. There are generations of North Carolina fans after me that did not experience that, right? So they might be feeling a little differently. But, oh, boy, for the, the South's oldest rivalry, reconstruction-era hate between Virginia and North Carolina, to have that blemish of a home L as a 24-point favorite, hmm that was a damn near Clemsoning by the Tar Heels <laughs> on a night when Clemson had a Clemsoning. No, that's not a Clemsoning by Clemson. But you, you get that was a Clemsoning uh, by North Carolina. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there's no, there's no other way to say. It. Like, are we so far past Clemsoning that the audience may not know what Clemsoning is? <laughs> I think our audience knows, but for those uh, who don't, Clemsoning is just being everybody thinking you're good and then pooping your pants when you're not supposed to. Cause that's what Clemson did for a very long time before they finally until they broke through, through and won the national championship. Mm -hmm. Right. Like during the rise, you'd get really excited about Taj Boyd and an electric offense that had Sammy Watkins and new Copkins. Mm -hmm. Cause guess what? Those Sammy Watkins, new Copkins teams did not win the national championship. It was Hunter Renfro that won the national championship. <laughs> Let so, that yeah, be a lesson to you. Yeah, that was the the, the Clemsoning uh, was was with those first iterations of it. But man, it's uh, Virginia traded paint with them. Like came out, scored the first touchdown, ran the ball effectively, like made horrible mistakes that should have cost them the game. And North Carolina could not capitalize on it. It was a uh, it was a bad loss for the Tar Heels. Okay, I'm I got to do it to you. I'm sorry. Guess who only completed half his passes again tonight? Oh, it's Drake, Drake May. May. Mm -hmm. Guess who's got that Juan Marichal windup that helped cause him to hold on to the ball too long and get it knocked loose late in the game when North Carolina's driving to win. Just telling you, man, I, I, I see the talent. The execution is not there, or at least it's inconsistent. What is going on with the other receivers there? Like 18 targets to Tez Walker, which, granted, like it's Tez Walker. Cool. Like I, 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 he's really, really good. But is it just he doesn't trust the other guys, or are the other guys not trustworthy? What, what, what are we? What do you think on that? I think Tess Walker's just open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I do feel like he was. No, there was definitely a part of it watching it. And I didn't 
watch this super close, but I watched it in the most of the second half because when I realized what was going on. But there were times where I felt like he was just hanging on waiting for Tez to come open and not going to any other reads. So there's definitely some kind of dependency on that one. So whether it's he just doesn't trust him or if they just weren't getting open, I couldn't tell from the TV angle. But he was definitely just like locked on waiting for Tez to run through an open spot in the zone. How is Virginia rushing for 228? Yeah, I thought they they just Mike Collins and like the Virginia run game was just moving the ball at will. Tony Musket was scrambling yeah. around, avoiding defenders. Like this, Tony Musket had more success against North Carolina's defense than Spencer Rattler did. And I cannot mm-hmm. wait in five years to go back and talk about how ton, Tony Musket played better against this defense than Spencer Rattler did. Tony Musket might have outplayed Drake May. No, like the craziest part of this game to me is you mentioned Hopkins. Hopkins fumbled the ball into the end zone, out the back of the end zone for Virginia to go on a go-ahead touchdown. And we went for a touchback to North Carolina. And Virginia still won this game. Like, that is the kind of thing that happens where you're like, oh, game over. Sorry, Virginia. You had your shot, and you just blew it. But they, you know, North Carolina responds, drives right back down the field, and then Virginia gets a fourth down stop inside the red zone and says, nope, mm-mm. We're not letting you do this to us. And I felt like that moment when they got that fourth down stop, I was like, oh my God, the Hoos are going to win this game. There were two opportunities um, there at the end where it was that first one after Hollins fumbles out the end zone. Then the defense actually gets a stop. Mm-hmm. Virginia has to punt and you go right back. And you mentioned Tom, the wind up, you know, it ends up leading to uh, an interception uh, for for Drake May, his only interception of the game, but consequential nonetheless. I mean, the the guy had like 340 some odd yards, right? You know, like we, Tom and I got roasted on Inside Carolina because our like right off the top of our head reaction was like, I don't know, man, that was that wasn't a really great game. And it was like four touchdowns, ACC quarterback of the week. How is that a bad game? And I was like, I, it was my eye, right? I just. I, I saw a lot of misses, you know, mm-hmm. like I just I saw a lot of misses and there is a read where it's like 342 yards. How was that a bad game? I don't, I don't know, man. Like just, you know, you're taking care of what, what, but your argument is like the maturity, right? He's not, he's not making bad passes or he's not putting yeah. it in danger, but like you're not putting it in danger on fourth down. Mm-hmm. You're throwing it to the side. Away. Like, yeah, I thought, I thought he was a lot better last week than he was this week. Like r- relative to the, to the quality of the defense too. Like, like UVA is a horrid defense. Yeah. Everybody moves the ball on them uh, other than I, I guess the Wolfpack. Uh, I mean, that that's, what are these? 6.4 per play. Mm-hmm. That, that should be like seven and a half, eight. So uh, North Carolina one conference loss. I mean, like the race. So, by the way, back to back weeks, Louisville loses to Pitt on the CW. North Carolina loses to UVA Uh-oh. on the CW. You're going to develop a reputation, CW, for who's, drama. Who's going to get the next uh, CW game of the week pick of doom? Uh, we, we will find out who ends up winding up in that spot. But, like, that race essentially to play Florida State in Charlotte, it's on. One loss Duke, one loss Louisville, one loss North Carolina. 
Um, Louisville and North Carolina don't play. We know that, but Duke and Louisville play. They play next week. Uh, North Carolina and Duke, they're going to be playing on November 11th. That will be the final home game of the season. Then North Carolina goes to play Clemson in Death Valley. Then they play at NC State Friday and Thanksgiving weekend. I think uh, I'll have to like actually pull up a standings. Like I don't know if our audience really cares that much about the ACC title race, but like I, I kind of feel like that's about the picture right now in the ACC. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody is a lot more alive than they thought they were, right? Like my, Miami is not totally out of this. Fair. Kind of crazy, but like, like there's a lot of teams that are – Clemson is not, but – this is a wide open race. It, it, yeah, Clemson's four and three with three conference losses. Like you're yeah, done. They're, they're, they're yeah. done. Donezo. Um but still, like this is this is a really wide open race. Like Florida State's not even locked in yet. I mean, most likely, but I mean Miami's the toughest game left. Do you think hosting Miami's tougher than going at Pitt? Yes. Wake wow. just beat Pitt. Yeah, but Pitt beat Louisville. Yeah, yeah but Louisville it was in thinks. what's it called the refractionary period. Jeff yeah. Romney's <laughs> that that shouldn't last a week. I just I don't I don't know what's going on with Jeff, but he should go see his doctor about that if it's lasting that long. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, every single Saturday night, we take a look at the AP Top Twenty Five poll and we project what the new rankings will look like. We'll get into that and so, so much more, including, yes, of course, we've got some Minnesota-Iowa talk. Yes, of course, we've got some you know controversial calls, not just in that game, but also in Houston, Texas, also uh, in that Wake Pit game, if you want to like you know get really down and dirty with it, and so much more. Next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, we want to thank everybody for hanging out, everybody who's talking in the Cover 3 tailgate. And look, if this is if this is your first time watching the Cover 3 podcast live, why don't you do us a favor? Why don't you just smash that like, smash that subscribe if you haven't already. We really appreciate it. Like We're going to continue to peel through all of these results, all of these takeaways, all of these thoughts. All we ask from you is that you just hit that like and hit that subscribe. Thank you so much. We appreciate everybody who's hanging out, watching with us live. So the new Top 25, when it is released on Sunday, again, one of the big sort of storylines is 
how many close upsets, not quite upsets there were. So I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot of change in the actual numbers. Voters are very traditional, sort of their big win, move up, lose, move down, especially when you get to this part of the season. So Georgia off, they'll be number one. Michigan smash Michigan State, but no one's going to bounce Georgia. Like if you had Georgia won, I think that for the most part, the AP voter is going to leave Georgia at number. Hey, look, there. Michigan might steal some votes. They might steal some votes, but they won't replace them in the consensus. Agree? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ohio State, again, like the best win, at least, you know, in terms of the quality of opponent that you beat. But I, I think they stay there at number three. Same thing but with they four. They might also steal some votes. <laughs> True. Same thing. So the, I, was, I went back to look at this going into the day. After the 27 to 20 scare against Auburn, that is the closest that the first place votes have been dispersed. Like they got all the way down to like 35 first place votes last week uh, after Michigan's, let's see, was that the 52 to 10 against Minnesota? Was that last week? Something along, yeah. So I can't remember. But I, oh, I don't know. One of devastations these, or the 52 to seven against Indiana. Yeah. One of these like ridiculous scores. Last week is the closest that Georgia and Michigan have gotten in voting points. So the first place votes for Georgia were strong last week compared to coming out of the Auburn scare, but the voting points. So it seems like everyone, the AP voters as a consensus are really dialing into those two as your top two teams in the country. Washington at number five, who knows? We will be finding out about that uh, as things go on. But then it gets interesting because number six, Oklahoma. 31 to 29 against UCF. UCF had a two point try. Oh, why are you doing a double pass? And I feel like everybody in the stadium knew exactly what was coming, too. Did you know that UCF is 0 for 4 on two point conversions this year? Why is that, Chip? Because the whole offense is two point conversion plays. Just hit the ball through the clown's mouth when the windmill is at the just the right time. You, you got to love Gus Malzahn on the box, though. Like the, the ability for that staff to just draw up stuff that's going to bother the opponent. Like you give them two weeks and a returning healthy quarterback. They used all their two point plays for all the touchdowns in the game. Oh no! <laughs> oh goodness. Um, all right, so let's uh, we'll we'll dial back to that real quick. So uh, Texas is also had a scare 24 to 17 24 17 that was fine yeah 24 17 against houston now oregon a little frisky early but man bucky irving was a baller in this game a couple explosive runs in the third quarter helped the ducks put washington state away so before we start to get into that next little bit and i want to spend some time with alabama tennessee um in oklahoma ucf in texas houston stay in that corner right now. What were some of the big takeaways for y'all? That big 12 refs forgot which teams are supposed to screw this year <laughs> <laughs> with that spot in the Texas Houston game. I think crossed wires, crossed wires. Um, I don't know. I, I think my biggest takeaway is that the red river shootout is a, an emotional game that takes a lot out of you and can kind of distract you both ways, I guess, because both teams looked kind of law i mean texas came out really sharp and then they just kind of stopped i, I don't know what happened but oh quinn ewers got knocked out of the game with a shoulder injury and then malik murphy couldn't throw the ball so they just ran the ball with jonathan brooks yeah and i think that really is like my biggest takeaway from both those games is okay oklahoma survived that's all you know 
scary close call. We survive. We move on. Texas for me is how bad is yours' shoulder going to be, and how is that going to impact them next week? Uh, a couple things. One, yeah, Texas did come out looking sharp, but man, like good teams would put away an offense like Houston. Like Houston doesn't block anybody, and Texas wasn't getting the quarterback enough in like the final 35, 40 minutes of this game, and they weren't covering people. So, like, congrats on the win, but you're you're a twenty three point favorite. Like, guys, you were a really big favorite over over Wyoming and didn't take care of business. Like, there's been a couple of these this year where it's like, okay, huge favorite, right? Oklahoma a little less so, seventeen eighteen points there. UCF has some real athletes on, on its team, and it had a bye week as well. So, like that one, I forgive them a little bit more, but I think we also we saw some continuing potential problems with this offense. And I'll go to the offense first because UCF's defense has been really poor so far this year. Oklahoma still couldn't run the football. Mm. Like against Texas, it was largely Dylan Gabriel, but you don't want to go to Dylan Gabriel running the football every game. So that to me was a bit concerning. I do think they missed Anthony. Who's not coming back this year, right? Like he's out for the year. So, uh, you know, OU to me, still looks like a really good team. They still play hard. But, like, man, you can't run it against UCF. That is a little concerning, for sure. No Tyree Walker. But, you know, I obviously, friend of the program, Dusty Dvorak, he was on it from, like, the start. He's like, Oklahoma's run game has not been consistent, and I think today it's gotten exposed. And he said that several times throughout the podcast. I trust him to be able to have, not podcast, throughout the game. I trust him to be able to have, you know, his finger on the pulse of that all the way through. Tywee Walker's been an important part of the run game. By the very end of it, Sawchuck and Majors were kind of like each stepping up for some big scoring drives, like Dylan Gabriel did just enough, but I kind of think it was also that offensive line leaning on them. I credit um, UCF a little bit for that run defense. It, it, you know how we were talking about, oh, God, UCF's going to be devastated by this. But you know how we talk about some defenses where we don't think they're good, but they're playing hard? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. UCF looked like that today, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, they were... 90% of defenses, Chip. <laughs> they wanted to be there. They cared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to use the reference because the first reference that came to mind is we were talking about Jacksonville State. And if I say that UCF looks like Jacksonville State, <laughs> that's that's just disrespectful. I'm not trying to do that. State. Yes? Do, mm-hmm. do we really feel differently about these teams a- after this weekend? No. Oklahoma or Texas? Yeah. No. In some ways, I do because it's like another opportunity for them to take another step, and we didn't see it. Hmm, potentially. All right, so I do feel slightly differently, but only with a set of circumstances because there were two teams. I know that Oklahoma still has to play one of them, but let's see. Kansas State is still on Texas's schedule. Mm-hmm. That could be... A wee bit problematic. We'll see. Oklahoma still has Oklahoma State. They do not play Kansas State. I'm not scared of TCU anymore. Oh, God. Did you see that game? Yeah. Kansas State killed them. That's what I'm I'm just – I'm coming out and look. Oklahoma State, 
did not look wildly impressive, but damn, that that group has found something. Like they have settled into a nice little place to where that game being in Stillwater and it being Bedlam, if they if Oklahoma doesn't play well, Oklahoma will lose that game. Undertaker and, meme, but it's Oklahoma State's Big Twelve ticket. <laughs> reaching out from the grave it's still alive i mean the south out look the south out loss is gonna really hurt you with the college mm-hmm. football playoff but that's not Oklahoma state's goal <laughs> i i did dare to dream a little bit i was like, okay it's like how dead is this thing and it, it's it's probably dead but like like it's it's potentially hedgeable mm-hmm what the pokes? Yeah, still a bad bet by me. But like, <laughs> I mean, re- realistic. I don't know. Like, like the, the process was okay, but it, it was really if Oklahoma and or Texas don't live up to the hype, who could potentially get there and and would have it make sense? But still, uh, Oak State still has who they have left. Uh, Cincinnati, when OU at UCF at Houston BYU. I, I I'm just saying. I'm just weird saying. things have happened. Oh, they're an Ollie Oklahoma Gordon is away from being in the big game. Like that's again, Oklahoma State has at least found this position in the season where it knows exactly what it is. It does. Here's a transition. My th- I was on the uh, halftime show for the SEC on CBS on CBS Sports HQ, and. At halftime, it was 20 to 7. I was like, I think Alabama's going to win this football game. I was like, Alabama is limited. Alabama is flawed compared to the program standard. But what I saw in the first half was that they weren't quitting. Like they were still like dialed into that game. They were still applying effort. They were making mistakes. Like plays weren't going well. And I think that that's where I'm at with Alabama right now is that. It is a limited group, but the few things that it does well, if it leans into that, is good enough to win all of the rest of its games on its regular season schedule. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be dominant. From 2016 to 2020, Alabama was winning games by anywhere from 24 to 28 points per game. That has dropped more into like the 10 to 14 on average range in 2021, 2022, and 2023. Danny Cannell has detailed here about the increase of one-score games compared to what was going on when Alabama was at its peak. It is not the juggernaut. The capital D dynasty is done. But what Alabama is within the vacuum of the 2023 season, still a group that can go and win the SEC. Limited, but the things that it does still can be good enough. It it seems like that group is not checking out despite all of the um, criticism that is valid about how it is not anywhere close to the Alabama that we are used to seeing with our eyes. And there were some teams who checked out today. And maybe we'll hold that for Monday because we, we, we have to do carousel and whatnot. But, like, yeah, I... Chip, I'm glad you said that because I, I I did not agree. I, I did not think that Bama was going to come back and win at halftime because I was worried about Bama's offense. I was like, man, if Tennessee can scheme just one more explosive for a touchdown, they may just be able to get to a number that Bama can't get to. Sure. Right? Like 
furious comeback. Bama looks really awesome type thing, but they just can't get to whatever number Tennessee got to. Maybe that number is like 31. And instead, they're like, yeah, um, we're just going to beat the ever-loving heck out of you up front every single snap with our D-line. And I know Mincy went out. We've talked about the lack of depth on Tennessee's offensive line. Like, you pull one guy out, they really struggle. They didn't score in the second half, did they? No. No, not at all. I mean, they, they got whipped up front in the second half. Bama took the physicality, I thought, to a different level. I honestly, I didn't, I was, I haven't watched this game that closely. Like I saw, I've saw most of the first half and then the second half, I kind of checked out. I moved on to other games and then I was, I, I even texted you guys and says, what the hell happened to Tennessee? <laughs> and Danny responds with, no, Joe Milton thought you could hold the ball for five seconds. But from what I saw, like I, I thought Alabama was going to lose just to be honest. I mean, I'll have to go watch it tomorrow. I've got it on the DVR, but I, didn't have a great takeaway from either one of these teams. And I didn't think Tennessee was all that great, even while they were winning the game. So I, I don't know. I mean, Bama won by two touchdowns with 350 yards of offense. That says something. Mm-hmm. That that defense is really damn good. Yeah. Now we got a Titanic battle coming up because you got, it's kind of flipped. Like Bama's offense, not special. LSU's defense in two weeks, Certainly not special. Uh, LSU's offense freakishly good. It's, I mean, like that's for the West, basically, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's the Iowa USC battle everyone's been looking for. <laughs> um, I say Tennessee, by the way, is going to end up remaining in the top twenty-five. Um, it gets quality re- loss. It gets really, really murky near the end, and I'm not sure how hasty uh, voters are going to be to throw Liberty in there. Liberty is 7-0, yeah. had the midweek win against Middle Tennessee. I do think they will get more votes than they did. But, guys, this is, like, this is the li- there were not a lot of teams that got a lot of votes. The entire voting body last week was almost entirely consensus. JMU, congratulations. I do believe you're going to break back in. Your first ever AP poll ranking was last year. You're only there for one week. Let's try to make it more than one week. Don't lose right after that. Uh, the next team was Clemson. Uh, the Tigers, obviously, as we mentioned, just lost at Miami. Florida, which was off. And then you just get into like Washington State. Fresno State was Washington State lost. Fresno State uh, off. Liberty now we're talking about teams that showed up as like the 24 or 25 on just a couple of ballots. I think Oklahoma state now at five and two, will get a little bit of attention, but not enough to break through. Um, Miami might jump back in. Miami could for sure. They'll, they'll be in the mix right there, but without the lack of anything close to a consensus, I just figured that USC falls out. And I think that Tennessee hangs on just barely Maybe Florida, which was right on the outside, cracks its way back in. But that, you know, 24 to 27 spot is soft. Very, very soft. I don't, I don't think we're going to see um, a, a strong cutoff at, by any means after this week. Do you think USC falls out? Because, like, they were dropping them in the polls after wins, and now they've lost two in a row. I, I mean, do think don't... that, yeah, I do think they fall out. Because, like, the uh, Florida has a better argument to be ranked as a two loss team than USC does. Yeah. I mean, what's USC's best win? Right. Yeah. 
So I, I felt, I mean, like bounced Iowa. Sorry, but like you were at 24. You, you didn't hold a whole lot of like, you know, credence with the voters already. That that's, that's an easy one to be able to, to knock out for a lot of people. Um, and then I bounced USC. Those were the two that for sure, you know, we'll, UCLA is still putting it on Stanford, right? It was twenty-one nothing last time I checked. Yeah, twenty-one nothing at halftime. Yeah, yeah. you got a five and two Wisconsin. You've got a six and two Rutgers. Six and two Rutgers is probably going to get some attention. Get some votes, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Utah Florida situation also like at factor there where Florida has a quality loss. Quality loss, baby. Bottom of the poll is going to stink this week. Let's be honest. I mean. Tulane almost lost to North Texas. I did not watch yeah. a second of that, but that one was an alarming uh, score tracker. Yeah, to, uh, keep checking it on. I've not had a chance to watch it yet. I, I, I'm curious how that happened because North Texas is—I don't want to use the word is—has been totally awful this year. And, NT stands for not too good. Yeah, so I was curious. Um. All right. So that's that. That that's about. Uh, more or less. And I guess I was like 23 minutes re-ranking the top 25 poll, trying to hit as many games as we could in that process. <laughs> Clip it. VOD. Wait, monetize. Duke, let's go. Um, Duke doesn't drop out, do they? Hell no. I don't think so. They shouldn't. No. Let's see. Well, I've, I've got I've got Duke at 21, and I've got Tennessee at 25. Like, Those are the two losers who I do think will remain in the rankings. I've got Penn state dropping to 10 that is behind Alabama. That is ahead of Oregon state. Yeah. Oregon state, which is off this week feels like a good dividing line when like you're sitting there and filling out your ballot. Um, Ole Miss. (laughs) (laughs) That, uh, yeah. Another quality. (laughs) That's what three one score wins in a row against mediocre teams. It's like Ole Miss is a four and three team with a six and one record. Oh, I've got North Carolina down to fourteen. By the way, that's a another one where if you want to say that they're down there at eighteen, anywhere from fourteen to eighteen is where Louisville is. Fifteen sure. is two lost Notre Dame. Anywhere in that range, I think is an appropriate thing. And in my blurb for tomorrow's top twenty five today on CBSSports.com. I said, look, the rate, the rankings for North Carolina across, like when you look at the graph, are going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Figuring out the exact consensus is going to be really tough, but I see it as behind Utah and then probably like between Utah and Louisville, somewhere in that range, like Notre Dame, Louisville, Missouri, LSU, two loss LSU. Like those, those are going to be the spots where I think North Carolina ends up falling. Makes sense. Um, all right, we're we're do, now 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 we're just open season. We've already. Hit Are we going to have an emergency pod tomorrow about Sam Pittman? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Is it the five hundred? They, they just they, they quit on him. Yeah. Like you, you know what it looks like. The uh, Southern Miss quit on Thursday night. They were jogging. Arkansas didn't give a damn about this game. You could tell the energy they played with was awful. Everything is lined up for them to make the move. Um, they yeah. are off next week. And I don't know, but do you know the details about the buyout 
the six million dollar difference between whether or not Sam Pittman has a five hundred record or better at the time of firing, or does it have to complete the season for him to be able to like trigger that clause? I think it's complete the season, and I believe it is not counting the COVID year. So just twenty twenty one to now. And if I, my math's right, this is the game he had to have. I, I so I was looking at it with uh, let's see, counting the COVID season. I did I did not know about that part of it, but he would have he would have to win three of the final. If it if you count the COVID season, he would need to win three of the final four to be twenty four and twenty four at season's end. He is currently twenty one and twenty three overall, ten and twenty one in SEC play. Final stretches at Florida, Auburn home, FIU home, Missouri home. I mean, I kind of think that they're not going to win those games anyway. Yeah. Like if, if you need to save six million dollars by letting it play out, then you're not worried about him rallying the troops and being able to get this thing over five hundred. But if it is at the time of dismissal, then I don't know. I just read from this game. What else, what else are you going to spend the money on? I just want to read stats from this game. Shameful. <laughs> Mississippi State won seven to three. Okay. So there's your context. In the second half, Mississippi State had 57 yards. They ran 19 plays. They only had the ball for 12 minutes. Arkansas dominated the ball in the second half, trailing seven to three the entire time. And yet Mississippi State was never in danger of losing because Arkansas never had a snap past the Mississippi State 38. (laughs) They turned it over on downs three times. Again, the Bulldogs had 57 yards of offense in the second half with a four-point lead and never really had to fear for their safety. (laughs) One of the worst college football games you'll ever watch. You watched it? Yeah, it was bad. I, I turned it on for a little bit. I mean, <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I already detailed what my noon noon slate was like. My TVs were spoken for. I <laughs> couldn't couldn't have that trash in my eyes. Uh, you had Kendall Browse. You wouldn't hire Danny Nose. Well, I was no, 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 no. I think a story of this, like, and I'm not gonna unload the entire chamber of thoughts because of course I was doing the same thing you were like are we going to have an emergency podcast tomorrow I don't know maybe all right let's start lining up the thoughts but like one is staff hires are important this is his first time as a head coach he's a head coach at Arkansas and Kendall Bryles leaves to go to TCU Barry Odom leaves to go be the head coach at UNLV multiple position coaches end up leaving as well that guy's got six or seven of his ten spots that have changed over from last year to this year. And it is not only your job to identify and hire candidates, but then also get them all on the same page at the same time. And it looks like that is one of the reasons why the product on the field has been so bad because you don't return KJ Jefferson and rocket Sanders. And look, you also lost a lot to the transfer portal as well, but like you don't, you don't have everything on paper that says this should be better and then have the product be so bad. Look, I, I don't know how much more you expect at Arkansas, but I do know it's a little more than this, right? Like, assuming the scheduling isn't just crazy person scheduling, which at times it has been for them, certainly. I'm generally expecting to make a bowl game at Arkansas. 
And I would like to have to not sweat it out. Like, I don't think winning SEC is realistic at all at Arkansas. They've never done it. I Same comment I made about Mark Stoops, Kentucky applies here. Like, they're not a team that I believe can win an SEC title. But, like, you have really good baseball. You got good basketball. You still got to spend the money on football. I think you can do a little bit better than what they've been doing. And for Sam Pittman, a guy with no track record as a head coach, other than what he, what he was here, and, like, not a play caller, you got to be a really good manager of people and a good hire of people. Dan Enos is a bad hire. I wouldn't make that hire. We talked about that on the show. Like we, we're not second-guessing. We first guessed it. That's why we're bringing it up now, again. So, I mean, it, it, it sucks. But they still got a bunch of games left to play. Maybe, maybe they'll fire him tomorrow. Maybe they won't. I, I, I don't think he's long-term there at all. We're just fading to Arkansas the rest of the year there, right? Yeah. I, I think they're on hard quit watch. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, is, uh, is Rocket Sanders? He needs to start that, worrying about the combine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't see it, so uh, I'll have to uh, I'll have to take your word for it. By the way, Will Rogers didn't even play. <laughs> <laughs> Although honestly, I feel like for what Mississippi State tries to do on offense, and I I emphasize the word tries to do on offense, I, I think Mike Wright might be a better fit anyway. They spent, they don't use Will Rogers correctly. <laughs> Is this spent, win bad for Mississippi State's program? Because it can kind of keep them yes. from making might be i don't know i, I just i don't i don't know how you could watch this game and win 7 to 3 and sit there and your takeaway be we got to keep this going so we'll see yeah i mean tom herman got fired after being in like an alamo bowl if you think you've got you know a better option then yeah but a lot of careers ended in the alamo chip that's true Boston College 38, Georgia Tech 20. No, I'm just kidding. We can't. <laughs> that was on my noon slate rotation until I had to yeah. lock in with. Uh, you're on here. You're on here giving me and Bud crap for watching Mississippi State, Arkansas. And you're out here like Georgia Tech, Boston College. Jeff, so, Hathley, Jeff Hathley is now 3-0 and against Georgia Tech. My friend Lauren Brownlow said. Jeff Halfley is Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech. (laughs) (laughs) Four and three Eagles have the remaining schedule. UConn, Syracuse, VT, Pitt, and Miami. I don't know how it's happened. Hey, what 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 size shoes you wear? Because you're going bowling, man. Need some bowling shoes here. Um, 563 yards of offense. Just ran the ball right at him, right through him. Yards. All right, so it, I had it as, uh, let's see, where was it? So there was a fourth and one. Uh, uh, Boston College's defense, or Georgia Tech's defense had it at fourth and one at midfield. Halfley goes for it. Castellano's 43-yard touchdown run gives him a 31-23 lead. The very next play, Georgia Tech fumbles but recovers it. The very next play, interception. The very next play, 57-yard run. The very next play, touchdown. Like just night-night and just on until daylight. We need to um, talk about we, we need to I, talk about the thing that's going to be talked about 
in the land between Minneapolis and Iowa City for the next 50 years. That the what Floyd is isn't what is and isn't a fair catch signal. Cooper DeGene said after the game, I never do a fair catch signal with that hand. Check your facts. Good today, buddy. All right, so you think, oh, okay, okay. I think it was the the correct call. Okay. I I think it was the correct call, too. My problem isn't with the call. It's my problem is do we really need to go review that? Like, if it wasn't called one live, then – what do we need to go review it for? I, I didn't know it was reviewable. Yeah, they reviewed it. Like the touchdowns. Well, I, I know they, they reviewed it, but I, I was not aware that that call was reviewable uh, but in, until they did it. Everything's reviewable. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, we got to go check to see if his shoes were tied. Hold on one second. Yeah, no, <sighs> that game was fun. Like, it was so bad, but it was fun bad. It, like, it was. Even early in the game, like Deacon Hill was launching 36-yard bombs down the sidelines. That The biggest mistake was he got tackled at the five. So then Iowa had to try to run, run like goal line offense. And it's like, oh, no, you know, we, we could do the 36-yard bomb and just hope for the best. But don't make us get four plays from the five. We're doomed. It was, yeah. I was just mad because my 7-1 to defensive special teams touchdown ticket didn't cash because of that stupid fair catch rule. I parlayed both quarterbacks, player prop over passing yards, and hit. <laughs> Had to draw a line in the sand somewhere. I was like, all right, look, at, at some point, like, we cannot – I cannot stand – Like, if any, if, if either defensive coordinator lets the opponent rush for, like, 250 in this game, they should be fired. Like, they're going to put everything they possibly can to stop the run. I mean, Iowa ran for 11 yards. Yeah, and – Sack adjusted, it was still only what 30. It was still, yeah, it was 33 yards on yeah. whatever 20 carries. They averaged, they averaged 1.8 yards per carry if you take out the sack yardage, which I got a lot of crap from Iowa fans last week for pointing out how the last two weeks they had one long run in each game and then a whole lot of nothing. And that was a very long, very hard way to rely on moving the ball. And it's like, well, they still count. It's like, I never argued that they didn't count. It's just when you don't get them, what happens is you average 1.8 yards per carry and you lose at home to Minnesota because you can't move the ball. So, I mean, I don't know. Just they can still win the West. You think P.J. <laughs> Fleck had their signals? Do I think what? P.J. Fleck had their signals? Oh, for sure. That's the only way you could stop the Iowa offense. <laughs> It's um, it the Big Ten West is just the Big Ten West. <laughs> Iowa could still win it. Wisconsin could still win it. I think, I think technically Northwestern did control its own destiny until it lost to Nebraska today. So I think that's over. But I think Nebraska can still win the Big Ten West. It is just a wonderful poop show. But well, the Big for everything Ten- that. Well, the Big Ten East has three teams that are among the 10 to 15 best in the country. The rest of the conference firmly occupying that 35 to 60 range. Listen, there's a lot of things going wrong for the Big Ten West this year, but there is one thing in their favor, and that is that nobody in the Big Ten West had to issue a release apologizing for putting Hitler on the scoreboard. So take that East. 
No, Wait, I, I will just say like oh, I missed that story. Michigan yeah, State. I, Michigan no, we, State. I, I was worried we were about to get flagged because the chat was talking about this story <laughs> since like cover three tailgate was like sitting there being like something, something, something. Hitler and I was like, "Oh God, we're gonna get banned out here." That's kind of what just happened in my ear. I was I was pulling up the box score for the next story that we were gonna talk about and wanted to make sure I had my notes right. And then I heard Tom say that. I was like, "What?" Here's what happened: the statement from Michigan State said they relied on an outside source for a trivia thing on their scoreboard that they played pregame. I think it was. The outside source was a YouTube video, from what I'm told. Of mm. trivia, and one of the answers to the trivia was the leader of the Third Reich. And so, there on the Michigan State scoreboard is a big old picture of Adolf Hitler, <laughs> and it kind of went viral on social media. Like, what the hell is going on? So, yeah, that was Michigan State lost forty nine to nothing at home to its biggest rival while putting Adolf on its scoreboard. It was a great day for the Michigan State Spartans. This, this is a money-making opportunity, though, for us because we – no, no, no. Like, and, 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 Jordan, if you want to get on this, let's make sure we have Hitler-free trivia-based YouTube that we can then license out to Big Ten school. Big Ten's got a lot of money, man. And, yeah, like, now there's a, there's a real need for this, right? It's called Connect the Coach. Dude, yeah. Connect, connect the Dictator. Which one of these countries had the same <laughs> – Invaded three times. Yeah. Belgium, the Netherlands, France, connect the dictator. Ching, 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 ching. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that's like 49 to 40 in the Paul Bunyan trophy, and the biggest headline is how everything is crumbling in East Lansing. But you know what? They didn't quit. They were trying, even as they were getting a crap beat out of them, forty-nine to nothing. They were trying, so I give the Spartans credit. I mean, you you, you got to put good tape out there for, for before you hit the transfer portal. That's true. That's true. That's one hundred percent true. Um, all right, so the game ended when we got started. So obviously, we didn't have our notes together. But as we sit here, and it's not like we've had a lot of time to you know recalibrate, but it, to get out of this podcast without addressing the game would not be fair. It would not be fair to, um, you know, anybody who is going to be waking up on Sunday in the wake of Utah's 34 to 32 win, which, and if this is the first time that you're hearing about it or following back on it, did not involve Cam Rising. Also did not involve Nate Johnson. No, it was Bryson Barnes putting the team on his back, though, going out there and leading the Utes to a win in the Coliseum to improve to six and one overall, three and one in conference play. The two-time reigning champion, Utah Utes, have a loss at Oregon State, but everything else is in front of them to try and remain right there in that Pac-12 title picture. Final stat line for Caleb Williams, 24 for 34 for 256 yards, zero touchdowns, 7.5 yards per attempt. He also added 27 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. USC's offense, man, like it, it looked out of sorts against Notre Dame. And now I'm, uh, now I'm just disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Fumbled three times tonight. They only lost one. They're lucky this game was as close as it was at the end. Mm. I mean, they're just, 
this this team looks sloppy as crap. Like I I don't know what's going on there during the week. I don't know what's going on with the preparation for each week, but they looked completely lost last week against Notre Dame and they looked completely lost again this week. I I don't know what's going on. But we but you do know that something is going on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe something is not going on, like having good practices. You don't look like that. Like they yeah, they don't look very organized. It, it does, nothing flows. I didn't get to watch the whole thing, right? I didn't. I don't know exactly how Utah built their lead. I assume it was with just, just Quentin Jackson, over. twenty-six yeah. carries. Yeah, twenty-six in a college game. That's it's a lot. Utah looked at the tape last week and said, "Hey, remember watching Notre Dame beat the crap out of this team all night, physically, just beating it up? Remember how we beat them up the last few years?" just beat them up again and that's exactly what they did and that that to me is my primary takeaway from this game big picture is that first utah is going to the pac-12 championship again it's just going to show up in a zombie state with four or five of its limbs falling off and the other one is any usc fan who watches the big 10 and thinks oh man we're going to go there and we're going to just kill all these teams you're going seven and five. Yeah, you've got a bunch of Utahs. You're facing nothing but Utah in the Big Ten. You get beat up. Anytime you run into a team that's stronger than you, you get the hell beaten out of you. And every single week, you are going to run into a Big Ten team that is going to beat you up. You are in for a rude awakening next year. At least you get to take a flight, though, after you get beat up. <laughs> Instead of just going home. <laughs> Buddy in the Uber line watching... Uh, Watching Lincoln Riley jump you in. I bet you can. I bet Lincoln Riley cuts his teammates in the Uber line. <laughs> <laughs> Not his teammates, his players. Yeah, yeah, his players are sitting there. They're all got their phones out. Car pulls up. He's like, "Oh, this is mine." <laughs> Just jumps in. Oh my gosh! <laughs> what else from uh? What else from the day do we want to hit before we get out of here? Um. If it is the last time we've seen them play football, I enjoyed it. Like their careers. Gabbert at Miami, Ohio. Oh, Aircast, man. That was not good. Looked to be a a really bad one. Um, Shoot. Uh, What's his name at at Coastal taking off in an ambulance? Grayson McCall. McCall. Yeah. It it, it was a bad day for quarterbacks that I know we have, especially like if if you are somebody who watches midweek football. We've seen these guys play a lot of midweek football, have enjoyed their careers. Like, that sucks, man. Like, I don't know what the injury was. I I wasn't watching Coastal uh, Arc State at the time. But, um, yeah, man, that that stinks. And and obviously, you know, it felt like there were more. By the way, Cam Rising – I saw on, on Twitter notifications that he won't play this year. Oh. I guess that's official now. I haven't heard that, but I'm not surprised by it if it's true. Maybe I should not uh, repeat that on a live podcast, but I think uh, nobody's yeah. watching. We're fine. No, actually, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, a w- lot w- of people are watching said, right now, Tom. It's fine. Uh, w- it's w- fine. Don't w- worry about it. Whittingham just actually came out and said it. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, good. I mean, it's, it's nice that we finally just can acknowledge it. Not stop pretending. Um, I just saw a score, but as I was looking through for things to talk, Nevada six, San Diego State zero. Money line sprinkle. <laughs> Quit watch. Sprinkle. <laughs> I, I'm, I 
damn it, I didn't tape that game anywhere. And now I'm kind of upset about it. Well, that one was a Mountain West Network game, right? Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I think it was going to be a little tough to get your hands on that one one way or the other if you weren't watching it live on the uh, on the stream somewhere. Um, Man. I will bring up the Illinois disaster class, Ryan. Illinois blew it in the fourth quarter. Johnny Newton got ejected for targeting, and it completely changed the game because up until that point, Wisconsin really couldn't do anything on offense because Newton was blowing everything up on the interior. Once he was gone, the pass rush disappeared, and Braylon Allen was just in the A-gap repeatedly taking 10, 11, 12 yards at a time. That's really how that ended. That sucks for them, man. Like, Basketball season starts. We won a big exhibition against Ottawa yesterday. Just crushed them. Are you guys good this year? Yeah. yeah we're ranked in the top 25. Um, you know, Shane Beamer oh, was yeah. thinking so much about yeah. his broken foot that he wanted to showcase his kicker's foot and only kick field goals. He said, the only way that we're going to score today is by kicking field goals. 12 points on four field goals, they found themselves in a 24 to zero hole in the first half. And as they were sitting there in that 24 to zero hole, each of the next three scoring opportunities, they got the fourth down decision was a field goal attempt. Three scoring possessions to turn a three score game into a two score game. <laughs> Math. It's hard. I mean, Missouri. Did you guys watch? What I was watching. I, I yeah. was once Missouri. I, I did not get, watch a minute of this. Okay. Once Missouri started putting them, putting it on them early, I kind of figured out where it was headed, and it was mm-hmm. not. I didn't get a lot of my attention. The field goal decisions were the things that were, you know, giving me some some entertainment. I would say from there, but uh, you know, Cody Schrader goes for a buck fifty nine and two touchdowns on twenty six carries. Like if I told you Luther Burden only had four catches. You'd be like, oh no! Like, was he? Was Missouri's offense kept in check? It's like, no. Well, actually, you know, Missouri's offense still <clears throat> six and a half yards per play. They were fine. Yeah. I mean, it was the same South Carolina game I've seen fifty times already this year. Every South Carolina game looked exactly the same. I did go back and listen to what we did in the preseason, right? When we had to do, you know, picking over unders for win totals episodes. I think we all took under on South Carolina. I think most of us said they would probably not make a bowl game and that we were still relatively high on Shane Beamer long-term. It just like it, you're, if you're not a Georgia or a Bama, you're going to have these reset years and it sucks. It doesn't mean that your guy is not the right guy long-term. It just, it happens because you don't have enough roster talent to overcome a couple bad things happening. In this case, a number of offensive linemen going down as well. Like we saw that opener against against UNC. Like what happens if South Carolina has to play the backups? They they're not really playable. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're going to miss a bowl. Um, and I don't think that necessarily says anything bad about Beaver. Really, like, I, I, South, Missouri is just a better roster. And they're, they're finished with six sacks and eight tackles for loss. Yeah. I'll stand by. I didn't love him throwing his players under the bus for the way the game ended last week. That is true. Yeah. From a vibes perspective. Yeah, but then he took it out on his foot. So. And you already got the contract. 
So why do it? I'm not saying like like he is the right guy there, but like I'm I'm also just not convinced that like we have to flip out at any time you have a bit of a reset year at one of these programs. It's like not them or Georgia. Agree. Listen, it was a who wins in the SEC title game, Mizzou or Alabama? <laughs> I I count count me in for the Carson Beck is gonna end up being the story of November. If you know if you're gonna do a Carson Beck Heisman future, this is the week to do it because he had the week off. So, and that is that is like a looking at it's a little bit hopium, right? Hitting that hopium, not like that as a a hope for as a fan or anything, but I think it's set up for him. He's been there three years, four years. It's Red shirts 2020, 2021, 2022. You're a backup. 2023, you're finally named the starter. Like. This guy's been there for a long time with the promise of not the promises, but like the, the promise, the opportunity, the potential of being able to lead Georgia's offense and contend for a national championship, you know, for all the Brock Bowers hype like this. Now it's you. So I think he's got the goods and I think there's enough good skill players around him that he can go make it happen. We'll see. What's it? Ole Miss, Missouri, and Tennessee before Georgia Tech, and Florida. Florida next week. Who, yeah, of course, listen. If it was the selection committee who did the AP poll, they would be sure to squeeze Florida in, so it's a ranked win. Yes. Are, that, are we almost at that time of year? By the way, dude, these Tuesday guys reaction shows. They are trying to ruin my family life. <laughs> they are releasing this first. Top 25 playoff committee rankings on Halloween, yeah. 7 p.m. Not a chance. Are we all going to wear costumes? You just going to bail on it? I have softball on Tuesday nights. Remember, I don't do the Tuesday show. I do the Tuesday Tuesday recruiting show during the day. <laughs> but I'm damn sure not going to be allowed to go to softball. <laughs> so my, my wife's not going to let me go do that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I just found out my wife just texted me. She said, I can't do it on Tuesdays either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a costume. Just Chip reading the rankings by himself on Tuesday night. <laughs> no, me reading the wrong rankings. That was the one time <laughs> when I had the order wrong. I was coming hot off HQ and you had to tell me that they had, they had mixed it up. Mm-hmm. All right, so again, lots more to pour through. We will continue to dig in to everything that happened later tonight. We might be talking about Washington losing when we get back with you on Monday. We will see, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.